Coming to you from the Golden State, this is the Art for Everyone podcast. Bringing art back to the people, one episode at a time. And bringing you compelling guest interviews with inspirational artists. And now your hosts, professional artist and owner of Carini Arts, Michael Carini, and real estate guru, Vinny Enriquez. Hi, everyone. The Art for Everyone podcast, where we have artists talking about paintings, galleries, talking about a variety of different things. And for the, the basic people like myself, trying to understand it and, and get a good feel of, of what's going on and upbrow, lowbrow, all the kind of topics that we've talked about in the past. Uh, Michael, you want to take it away and talk about our first person today? Well, Vinny, I, you know, I, to be honest, I feel like a lot of days I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But I do want to thank the Enriquez Group for helping make the show possible. Uh, also, I would love for you to check me out, Karini Arts, KariniArts.com. And today our guest is Chiffon Lark, but we like to allow our guests to introduce themselves. So, Chiffon, let me turn the floor over to you and allow you to introduce yourself. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. My name is Chiffon. I am a local San Diego-based artist, um, currently categorized as an emerging artist, um, working on getting my work out and making my way towards establishment. Um, but I identify myself as an emerging artist currently. And that's so interesting, too, because uh, I've always wondered kind of like, where are the overlaps for like the emerging versus the mid-career versus the established? Because when I look at your work, like I've seen some of the, like probably not all the things you've done, but I've seen some of the stuff that you've done. And I would not have described you as an emerging artist. I would have described you more as mid-career, kind of the way that I describe myself at this point. So it's interesting kind of where those parameters and where those groupings fall. So how do you what, how do you classify emerging artists then? Is it based off of the monetary aspect of it, the feel of it, the confidence of it? How do you define it? You want to go first? That's a great question. Um, and you know, to be honest, it's relative. Um, for me personally, I have barely gotten comfortable with identifying myself as an artist within the past three years, four years. And that actually came by way of somebody um, who had me as a keynote speaker um, at their retreat and they introduced me as an artist. I've been doing art my whole life and I've never ident self-identified as an artist until that time, that time I was introduced as one by someone else. So um, I think it really just depends on how the public perceives you. And so that's something that as an artist, you will never really know. I mean, you can speculate, right? But we never really know how we're perceived by the vast majority ever. So it's a good question. So would you say then, is there going to be a point in time where you don't see yourself as an emerging artist, but you actually see you yourself as like a, a veteran artist? Like what would the public have to perceive of you to make you feel that way? Mm. I think a, a key point indication would be uh, maybe to see my work internationally. Um, 
I think that would be probably a pivotal moment in my career where I would probably then self-identify as an established artist. Now, do you mean exhibition or do you mean just shipping work internationally, maybe to a collector? Um, showing collection. So in the exhibition capacity. Okay. Yeah. And so for those that don't know, a lot of times uh, in the art world, uh, in academia, the uh, classifications are emerging artists, mid-career artists, and established artists. So established artists would be your historical artists that you know, artists that do a lot of museum shows, things like that. Uh, mid-career. So it, and, and again, I'm throwing out my interpretation of it because these things do overlap so much. Uh, but I would call a mid-career artist somebody that's been doing it for a good amount of time, somebody that shows in galleries, has some experience, some sales under their belt. And emerging artist is somebody that's kind of trying to break in, trying to work with galleries or trying to get out there and start selling some of their work. Uh, but again, there can be overlaps, there can be gray areas. And, and some of us may feel, even as an established artist, like we're still an emerging artist. Okay, so Van Gogh, right? Wasn't he, he didn't think that he was good or something like that, right? He never knew it, right? He never, that's what, isn't that well, he, it wasn't that he didn't think he was good. It was that he only sold like one or two paintings while he was alive and it was to a family member. So at, when he was alive, did he, do you think he saw himself as an emerging artisan or what do you think he saw himself? That's an interesting thing. And I, I think that for him, he, I, maybe the terminology wasn't used quite the same way back then. So I think he just saw himself as an artist. And I think that, if we're true to ourselves, if we are honest and we're just moving in our path and our purpose, we're artists and kind of how other people want to classify us. It doesn't matter so much because he did come to be known as one of the greatest ever, but during his lifetime, didn't get a lot of love. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, and, you know, in some regards, uh, Michael, what you were saying, uh, you know, it's very subjective, I think, this terminology and really this hierarchical concept, concept of, you know, uh, really quantifying the quality of work um, of an artist, right? Where where are those thresholds conceived? Where Where do those come from? Where is the birthplace of that? And so for me, you know, I know that in my culture, we don't see art as an extra normality. You know, we see it as a part of who we are and we use it um, as a way to develop a deeper connection with ourself so that we can walk in this life with a deeper connection with everything else that is. So really, I mean, this, Eurocentric idea of having, you know, a fine artist, an established artist, a gallery, you know, uh, these are all concepts that kind of came from a hierarchical uh, system where for me, I see an artist as an individual who is able to take something from what they're feeling uh, create something from that so that other people can feel it too. Absolutely. And there's a lot of artists that I talk to and in the dialogue, sometimes they may say, well, I don't consider myself an artist, but they make art. They very much are an artist. But uh, like you said, sometimes it's broken down into these hierarchies and uh, the idea of, okay, well, 
if I do it, but I'm not trying to make a living off of it, do I technically fall under the category of an artist or do you have to be a professional? Can you be a hobbyist? It gets very kind of muddy, but I think at its core, what it really comes down to is just uh, sharing our stories, being vulnerable, creating something, putting something beautiful out there. And I think that once you do that, the classifications and the categories don't matter quite as much. So uh, I don't overthink it. Like when I approach galleries and things like that about what stage am I actually like, oh my God, am I going to level up and be, you know, uh, the next level artist now? Am I now established or, you know, am I, am I this? It's just like, I'm just a guy that shares my stories and uh, I'm not really concerned about the rest. And it's like a, another thing that I did that I would not give this career advice to anybody else. And I've talked about this before, how in 2020, I actually burned my resume and have not worked on my resume since. I just said, you know what? I'm no longer validating who I am or what I do. Uh, now, obviously, I, I have this list of records of things that I've done up to 2020. But at that point, I just said, you can see me as I am and see me for what I do and what I'm doing right now. And you can want to be a part of that and part of that journey. Or you cannot want to be a part of that. And quite honestly, if somebody wants to follow the hierarchical model of like, oh, well, you know, we need to see exactly what you did during these dates. Then you may not be for me because I just want to be a person that share my story and bringing beauty to the world. Well, I mean, I guess share your, your, or bring beauty to the world, but also make a living off it. Right. Yeah. I'm well in the sense that uh, I, I, I am a full-time artist. This is all that I do. So, that's another area where it gets kind of muddied. And when I talk to a lot of other artists, uh, sometimes uh, the dialogue can get interesting because I speak in terms of somebody that depends on this to make my living. And so I do have to have the money coming in to keep a roof over my head. So sometimes people are like, well, you know, you, you don't do it. And I don't do it for the money. I do it because I love it, but I do also have to sustain and survive. But um, yeah, it, it becomes a different game and a different dialogue when you are making your living doing this, as opposed to like maybe you hold another job and you have another source of income or something like that. And you don't have to worry about the pressures of sustainability as you do when you kind of pivot your focus a little bit. Do you think that plays any kind of factor? I know you said the outside perception, right, of 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 the different tiers, I guess, of, of artistry. Does that play any kind of um, role in it? If, if let's say you you put the work out there, but it's not enough to sustain you to live, does that change basically the tier? That's a good question. I, I think that it, it's a variable to consider. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I think that when I really, I really am, you know, uh, interested in pursuing this full time. I don't currently do it 100% full time. Um, I do freelance design work as a website developer, and um, <clears throat> it's a, uh, you know, it's it's part of my five year plan. Um, but really, you know, some of the best advice that I was ever given was to be clear on your intention. You know, Michael, what you were talking about being a full-time artist and, and Vinny, what you do, you know, for your livelihood, why do you do it? You know, I think that's what it really comes down to. Is it simply to make money? Why do you need money just to eat? Or is there something deeper there? Is there, is there, what is your intention? 
you know, and I think that when I decided to leave my corporate career that I was, you know, in full time and pursue this as, as something that I wanted to do, it really came down to why I wanted to do it. And I had to be very clear about that. And every day I wake up and um, I remind myself of that intention of why I do it, why I've chosen to, to uh, pursue this as a career. Um, and really it go, that, that goes for everybody, for me really. So once you're clear on your intention, everything else falls into place. Yeah, Vinny, I, I loved the question and Shafana, I loved your answer because for me personally, this past year, like I found the economy to be very difficult in the art market this past year. But I feel like I made some of my best work. I feel like I made some of my greatest progress. I felt like I got back to being true to myself, even if it meant doing things that were not monetarily successful. I felt like I got back to my true self of finding my voice, of finding my essence. And so when I think of success as an artist and as a person, as a human, it comes down to, to finding myself. So I feel like I found my greatest success this year, even though I did not have the monetary success. And so I'm kind of struggling with that internal debate because like Shafan was saying, like, why, why do I need money? I, I just, I'm trying to keep a roof over my head, I'm, but I'm a person that wants to live a very simple life. I just want to have food and I want to share what I love with the world. And I want to contribute in the ways that I can by walking in my purpose. And, you know, the, the world that we live in, I think uh, with the hierarchy, like we were talking about, sometimes um, those things are kind of in conflict with us sometimes walking in our purpose because we've been led to believe that we, you know, we need to have this, we need to have that, we need to have the money. And, and obviously we, we do need to have a, a place to live and we do need to feed ourselves. But uh, I'm a big believer in balanced reciprocity in the barter system. So uh, I, I'm trying to navigate this journey and find new ways in such a way that I can kind of maybe break the molds of the system and, and go back to a, a simpler way of life, a simpler way of living, of, of taking care of each other and uh, reminding us what's important because I think uh, a lot of us have become distracted in the world that we live in today with uh, all the stimulation and uh, all the things that we see on social media. How, how so? Like distracted by like just the objects, the items? What's important and what we really need in this life and who we need to be, how we need to be. Uh, like I, I spoke for career day a little over a week ago. And so one of the first things I tell the students when I go in is they say, well, if money was not an issue and you had the support of your friends and your family, how many of you know what you would want to do? And a good portion of the students in that case will raise their hand and they would know what they want to do in that scenario. But the idea of money throws them off course. Uh, friends, family telling them what's practical and what's not practical throws them off course. And so these people move into these lives that they don't really want to be a part of. And so they may find success in the eyes of what the world says is successful, but a lot of these people are probably not going to be very happy if they do not move in the direction of their calling and their purpose, that thing in their soul. And, you know, I may not be living the most monetarily successful life right now, but I feel like I am overall the most successful person that I have been. And I feel like I am, uh, as much in my purpose and my calling as I have ever been. And so in that regard, I feel like I am connected 
to the universe, to the world, to everything right now by being who I am meant to be and not being who others or the world tries to tell me who I should be. I think to a degree, I mean, when you're talking about, I mean, it's, I think it's different to have this conversation with a, uh, an 18 year old compared to maybe a 30 year old or 40 year old. Right. I mean, because I think that, I mean, yes, you can do a year or two years to find yourself and figure out which pathway you want to go on. Right. And you got to, I mean, it makes it easier to go down that rabbit hole of, of living on the streets. And Michael, if we can be transparent, you've told me there's time in the past where you were that close to actually living on the street, right? Where oh, I'm not far right now. I'm not right? far right now. Yeah, I mean, so things could change drastically and differently, right? Where you go down that rabbit hole and you're living on the streets. And yes, I mean, you living on the streets is not going to allow you the ability to really put that beauty out into the world, right? You're painting your art artistry out in the world, right? So it's that balancing act of <clears throat> I got to find the, what I love, but find it in kind of a parameters that's going to allow me to survive, allow me to be healthy and allow me to at least have a life that is worth living for myself. Well, sort of, because that's what I talked about in my speech too, because if you have a backup plan and, and I'm not judging anybody that does, I'm not judging anybody else's path or journey, but when I had a backup plan, because I worked in the corporate yeah. world for a long time uh, and I said, well, when I have enough money and I have X amount of dollars, I will leave my job and I will focus hundred percent on the art. I paid off my student loans 10 years early with the money I made off my art, the money that I was told I would never make because art doesn't make money. But yet I paid off my student loans from a private university 10 years early. 2019 came around and I seemed to have less money than I had ever had before. And I realized that maybe the problem wasn't me. I mean, it could be partially, but maybe there was something else to it. And so I got rid of my backup plan. And when I got rid of my backup plan, and I was 100% in, that little extra percentage that I was giving was the thing that made the difference. Now, yes, do I struggle? 100%. I still have times that I struggle. I still have times of great difficulty. But I still feel, even at the point of being close to being homeless, that I am more successful and a better version of myself than I ever was at my highest level of success in that life not meant for me. Now, what if you had a significant other with you, though? Now you're basically not just basically making a choice on your life. You're making your choice on, on your partner's life, right? Like, for example, for Spawn, right? I mean, if, if you gave up basically where you're making, I don't know what to what percentage, basically your career compared to the art career, right, is how that balances out. But if you gave that one and strictly went to the art, right, that would be, I would assume, fairly stressful for you. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that it's important to be very objective when you're taking in the, the data, right? Because we have to stick with the data. And when Michael, you're, you know, talking about monetary, I'm assuming that you're referring finance, financial. And so those are numbers and they're very concrete. And it's, it's something that you really need to factor into your day-to-day -day living, you know, because those numbers are, they're, they're, they're going to be what they are. And for me, you know, I think that I have to be very objective when I look at that. And I also have to um, see things from a higher perspective and think, okay, my intention is to live this life. And like you said, Michael, walk in this purpose. 
whatever, irrespective of what your purpose is, irrespective of the lifestyle you wish to maintain, you have to be objective in regards to what it takes to sustain that. And I think that that's something that not just you, Michael, I hear um, a lot of artists that um, they, they really struggle with that. And in my own opinion, um, if I may say so as an artist um, and as a business owner, it's because a lot of our technical skills don't teach us how to quantify an emotionally driven process. And that's what art is. It's born from our emotional experience. And that is many for many people and, and for, for many metrics, right? Um, even psychologists, you can't really quantify that experience. And so being able to convert that into a, a definitive value um, that is quantifiable is a very big challenge for people. And so you get artists that are pricing their work um, very low or very high um, in some people's opinion. And so for me, again, you know, going back to that foundational statement of being an artist and what that means for you and what that means, you know, for, for the artist is, you know, people really want to connect and so if you're able to connect, then that's going to be your selling point, you know, um, with your work, in, in my own opinion. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, you know, long answer, but many people do struggle with that. I did too. Um, and I think that it's just stick with the numbers, stick with the data, you know, irrespective of whether, it, you know, it's coming from your soul or, you know, not everything is, you know, uh, able to, in some cases, to be delineated to some degree. And so I think that's really important for artists to um, find somebody that can support them in that regard, too, right? Um, if they're unable to achieve that on their own, you know, we all need support. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And so, you know, partnering with people that are able to support you in the areas that maybe you're not so strong in, you know, that could be something to invest in. Yeah, you hit on some really good things there, because for me personally, there is a rhyme or a reason to the madness. At times from the outside looking in, it may look completely irrational, but it absolutely lines up because I am left and right brain. So there is a thought that goes into it because art is an industry, unlike many uh, avenues of the corporate world, where sometimes things are irrational and sometimes pricing is all over the map. Like you look at one artist versus the next, you know, the quality may be the same, but the pricing may be drastically different or something may be selling very well at one time and then it may not be selling later. And you can't qualify or quantify what the reason is that the art industry is unlike any other because my background is in sales. So uh, I've gone through the business side of things. And that's what I love about art, too, though, is, uh, you know, on any given day, I can just completely change my situation. So although I may have periods of great difficulty, I trust that if I stay the course and if I am committed and I put in the work and I do take in the data and the knowledge as things transpire, I can make it work. Like on any given day, I could sell a painting for 10, 20,000, you know, or, or more dollars. Whereas working for somebody else, you know, that's not likely to happen. So, you know, there's the highs and the lows that come with it. And Vinny, in regards to what you were saying is it, it comes down to sacrifices. And so for me, it was a matter of, in terms of the data and whatnot was, uh, 
minimizing the overhead. So choosing to live a simple life. I elected to live a simple life. I said, okay, well, when I leave the corporate world, I'm going to have to live a simpler life. I'm not going to be able to buy this, this, or this. I'm going to drive an old car. I'm not going to get anything new. I'm going to wear the same clothes all the time. I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to spend money on this. So there was the budgeting of like, okay, how do I make this life sustainable? And then beyond sustainability, it was okay. Well, if things get difficult, what sacrifices am I willing to make? And you mentioned relationships, Vinny. And so for me, one of the decisions that I made, and you could call this a selfish decision, but I, I feel like it was the right decision. I made the decision that I need to put my business first. And therefore, I just at this stage of my life will not do relationships because my first love is to my passion, my purpose, my calling, my art. And so I made that decision that I would never ask somebody else to be in the position to have to take care of me or to have to sustain me. And, and I like having that pressure on me because it allows me to determine and to see how driven I am and how much I actually want this dream because I believe it is possible. But, you know, I'm going to be pushed to my limits to see how much I want. So in, 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 a, in your perfect world, what does your perfect world look like? Because it goes back to... I think basically, I think the original conversation we were talking about was basically just simply following your love, right? Following your, um, it's not about the money, I guess, right? That was kind of like the, the, the topic of it. So what is that, what does that perfect world look like? Cause you said you're sacrificing relationship. So in your perfect world, then it would have a relationship in it. No, sacrificing something. I think that the, the perfect world is just uh, living your purpose, living your calling. And I no, but I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I mean, you're, I, I mean, I'm just, I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse on this topic, but I mean, getting, I'm tr I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've shaped my business. I still have the ups and downs where all that, that heartache is allowed me to kind of do what I'm doing, but there's also times where I have to eat a shit sandwich, right? Where I have to do stuff that I don't want to do, right? Yeah. But, so I'm just getting back onto just like that idea. I mean, what for yourself? I mean, it says a sacrifice is the relationship, right? Not having a relationship. So in a perfect world, is it to have a relationship? No, no. I think that, um, I think that I'm, I think that in, in many regards, I am close to the perfect world. I think that, uh, the perfect world for me is actually an imperfect world. I don't think that I, I want the everything to be perfect type of thing. I, you know, I, I like that I've been pushed to learn who I am and what's important to me. And, and I like and embrace the challenge of it. But, you know, I, I think it's different for everybody. Like, uh, Chiffon, for you, um, is there a, a perfect scenario or, or ideal world for you with the art? I don't think so. Um, and that's simply because um, I believe that perfection is something that's inherently what is. You know, it's it's something that I've I've I realize I've come to terms with. It's out of our control of what is. Things either are or they aren't, and everything that is is perfect. Inherently, we are perfect. You know, there's a, a lot of trending new agey uh, philosophy philosophies that I see, um, you know, throughout the internet. And everybody's talking about how to improve, how to be better, how do you grow, how do you uh, become more woke, how do you, <laughs> and, it's, and it's based on this concept that our value 
is not inherent, that we have to achieve something extrinsically to be worthy. And for me and for my culture, that's not how things work. We are born worthy. We are born under what is divine. Well, you can be worthy, but you can also strive for more, right? You're striving to make basically artistry, right? Your full-time career. So you are striving for something more. Even though you're worthy now, you're still striving for something more. You're looking to, I guess, better in that career path, right? So both can be true. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely identify with, um, with servant leadership. And so for me, I, I choose to serve my community and I want to position myself in a way to where I'm leading by an example. Um, you know, something that you said, Vinny, earlier really resonated with me about like talking to different age demographics on whether uh, social media is constitutional for distraction and, and how it would be constitutional for a distraction. And just the act in itself of having a radioactive device to which we're seeking extrinsic validation from a virtual reality is a distraction. And so for me, my goal is to show people that there is so much more that we are inherently connected to this planet that we live on earth and, and that that's changing. Our earth is changing and it's because of our behavior. Everything that we do as humankind has an effect because we are interconnected. And in my culture, we understand things differently and that this interconnectedness is, is unbreakable. You know, as much as we try to disconnect from our reality, we are still inherently a part of it. And so being better is equivalent to how deeply can we connect to everything else that is. And so for me, as an artist, as an individual, as a daughter, as a sister, as a partner, as a business owner, how can I serve my community and build connection? That to me is what I strive for. And so the deeper the connection, the more connection, the more positive effect that those connections can have, that's to me, that's the dream. That's really the dream. And if I can offer that for free, I will. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so to have like that's, a, a stronger. Uh, okay. First off, you, your culture, Native American, guessing? Yeah, that's okay. correct. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess it's on two topics. Okay. Now, this is, this is, uh, uh, I've taken classes where they talk about building out your tribe. Is that like a, any kind of negative kind of thing of saying that or no, right? Try No, not really. Okay. So 
my tribe is uh, the White Mountain Apache tribe. Um, my they, mother. They, well, they talk about like, so, so for class, like for, I'm in the real estate field, right? And they say, you want to build out your tribe, like the people that are going to follow you and you're going to basically give content to them. I just, I was just making sure that it wasn't a I negative understand. thing to say tribe in, in that kind of sense, because I guess. It's interesting. I, yeah. And I apologize that I, I misunderstood that no, no, uh, question. Yeah. Um, so tribe is actually a European term. Oh, okay. Um, for the native people, uh, the original people of this land, mm -hmm. uh, we had clan systems and band systems, but tribal systems was something that was implemented post-colonial settlement. And so that was just a way for the institutions that were being constructed to kind of keep tabs on the indigenous people that they were looking to uh, uh, take take over, essentially, um, you know, our communities, and so that's basically where those terms came from. Um, and so, yeah, we use them. You know, we identify with them now, um, but traditionally, the way I was raised. Um, Tribe wasn't a, a, a word. It was, you know, who your family is, what your clan is. You know, that was a that was a system that we have, and you know, had very, 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 uh, you know, uh, sophisticated systems based on this. Um, so, but it's not neg but, not negative in that sense. I mean, it wasn't meant to be a negative thing. I was just curious. It's not a negative. If someone else says it about basically when you, when a when a when a, a marketing person says, hey, who's your tribe, whatever, or your mm -hmm. demographic, your group of people, that kind of stuff, that's kind of an idea. But I, I was making sure before I said it, and then I was going to get like people responding back going, oh, well, that guy's unsensitive because I already deal with Michael over here that's really unsensitive, a lot of stuff. But um, So when you're talking about them netting together your people, your community, right, the people that follow you, what does that look like? Is it mostly – you kind of brought that up a second ago. What, that, what kind of people are you talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question. Um, native communities specifically. Um, so my people are indigenous to the southwestern United States and northern parts of what is now Mexico. And so these communities are oftentimes misrepresented in mainstream media um, and are facing, you know, critical issues. Um, and I think that most of the other, you know, Native communities that I've been exposed to, that I've had the privilege and blessing to work with, are facing similar issues in that our food sovereignty, our land sovereignty, our power, our water, all of that is very much misrepresented um, in the mainstream media. And it's, it's really quite critical that um, this country really starts to seek reparations um, with these communities um, because none of the original treaties for any of the nations have been honored ever. And so for me, my goal is to not only raise awareness of these issues that aren't something that's 
backdated, something that's outdated, like, oh, that happened in the 1800s. It's actually happening now. It's still happening currently. Um, one of the contemporary issues that the Apache Nation is facing is copper mining in uh, an area in Arizona that is a sacred ceremonial site. And it's something that is still happening now. That is, you know, protected land on the San Carlos Apache Reservation that's currently being excavated for copper. And this is a sacred burial site that has been used for generations, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, you know, and this is something that, you know, the governor or, you know, this legislations are turning a blind eye to. And it's, it's not being publicized in mainstream media, you know, when we're talking about, you know, fracking up in Alaska, those pipelines, whose, whose land is that? That's indigenous people's land. Whose water is going to be, whose water supply is going to be affected by, you know, that pipeline, indigenous communities, you know? And I know it's not exclusive. You know, there are other communities, non-native communities that are being affected by this, but, you know, these are the issues that really need to be publicized. People really need to start taking this seriously because it's not just going to affect Native communities. Again, it's going to affect everybody. Um, but the respect and, you know, um, just the cultural awareness, I think, is, is something that I seek to strengthen. Um, you know, I believe that we all need to come together now. I think that, you know, these times that are happening now and the times that are coming ahead um, it's really important that we all respect one another and respect uh, these traditional ways of living because they're healing. And I can speak on that because personally have experienced that on, in my own journey. Um, and so that's, that's what that would look like for me is, is allowing the mainstream media to represent Native communities in the way um, that is necessary for change. Now, you hit on some really big things there and some important things and some uh, things that uh, have not been given their due diligence and, and fair amount of attention. Now, one of the wonderful things about art is that it does oftentimes give a voice to the voiceless. It does provide a platform. And the other great thing about art is that Sometimes art allows us to address very serious, very important things that are often not discussed because they're controversial. They make people feel uncomfortable. But art gives us this platform where we can present them in a way that opens up dialogue in a way unlike anything else. Have you found art to be that type of platform for you or have you seen it as, a, as an opportunity to give voice to these uh, callings, this purpose in these things? Absolutely. Um, that's a really good question um, because, you know, I've been doing art my whole life, you know, as any child, you know, uses art as a creative expression to articulate emotional experiences. Um, I was doing that. 
and I still do it and have recently, um, you know, through mentorship and through support, um, other native artists, um, established artists, um, you know, that are supportive of me and, 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 you know, my, my, my vision, um, they really encouraged me to make my art, uh, have a more cultural soundness. And for me, my art has always been culturally sound because it comes from me. And, um, it is something that I use to convey Im some importance, you know, something that I see importance, you know, I want other people to connect with that and to um, understand why it's important. And so I think that art can absolutely be utilized um, to expand the threshold of one's understanding towards a topic, um, just like any, any media, you know, film, music, you know, visual arts, uh, performance arts, all of this is an expression of an experience that's utilized to connect communities, connect one another. And so for me, if I could, you know, really build a foundation to where others can understand aspects of my experience, aspects of my uh culture of my people's traditions in a deeper way to where they can appreciate it, I'm absolutely going to take advantage of that. And so, um, yes, you know, long answer, you know, short answer long. Yes, I, I have, you know, recently um, been exploring making a more um, direct uh connection to to that aspect of my art and I think that as you kind of mentioned earlier we're moving into a time where I think it's getting very very important to take a step back and to and to look at, like to really look at things and I know that there have been times in my life where the art is a little looser and it's a, a little more casual but uh, lately I've been I've been feeling this energy of the universe of the earth of that you know what you have a platform, people will listen through the art. Maybe it's time to start making sure that you're saying something or, or to at least slip something. And and when, as artists, you know, we have collectors, we have people that take in our work and they're taking in our stories, they're taking in our energy. But we do, we do have an opportunity to share the stories behind the work and, and to share the culture and share the messages to grow, to open people up to new philosophies, ideologies, thought processes, uh, those types of things. Like uh, one of the things that I talk about is that so much of my work is just about finding yourself, about finding your voice. And it's not exclusive. It, it's inclusive. And so my audience, my demographic is is so diverse from um, the young to the old, from men to women, from straight to uh, to gay, to uh, trans people, to super conservative people, to liberal people. And, and I find that there's a beauty to the fact that art allows us to tap into all of this and to share these stories. And so I think it is important to be conscious and cognizant of the things that we share because we do have this power and this opportunity to change and to shape things. And I think that artists, we, we do have this wonderful power to change things in a way unlike others. Cause you hear the term politician already. You're like, Oh, no, no trust whatsoever, but people trust and, and have faith 
in the artists. And, and so I think that uh, we're in this wonderful position to change things. And I think that it's a time right now where we need a little bit of change. How? Change things how? I mean, how would you do that? I think that, uh, if I'm being honest, I think that we're living in a time that is, uh, there, there's some there's tremendous beauty, but there's a lot of distraction. I think there's a lot of darkness. I think there's a lot of divide. And, uh, you know, I am not left. I am not right. I am, I am, I am me. And I am a lot of different things. And, and I don't try to fit into a box. And I think just the ability to be able to connect people or, or to help people to find themselves is something that we can do as artists and, and something that we can contribute to find whoever it is that you are inside. Because I think a lot of us are led astray by the media, by messages, by politicians, this idea that, oh, no, this is the bad person. This is the bad person. And I have this philosophy that the, the greatest trick your enemy can play on you is to convince you that somebody else is your enemy. And I think so many of us are focused on what the media tells us of like who we should be against and what the problem is. And I, I think that uh, not enough of us take a step back to ground ourselves and to feel things and to observe for ourselves. So you're saying as, as a, you're talking about more of not you personally, but a collective artistry artist as a group to bring, and I'm assuming you meant to bring beauty or something like that to, to the world by bringing beauty or something like that, that basically allows people to have positivity and positivity will kind of weed out the hate. I'm assuming that's kind of where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah, because uh, like during the pandemic, for example, it was a very difficult time for a lot of people. People were confused. People were uprooted. Uh, people that thought that they had stability and security may have lost that. And I noticed that a lot of people were turning to the arts. People were looking for beauty. They were looking for connection. They were looking for something to believe in. They were looking for something that could take them to a better place or to ground them because of all the chaos and all the destruction and all the fighting and whatnot. I like that question. It's so simple. Uh, how, you know, how, how can we implement or invoke uh, inspiration for change? And for me, you know, if I really think about it, if I can have one person buy a body of work and, and, and somehow feel empowered, feel inspired, feel like they understand something more or deeper, whether it's themselves or, you know, their outside experience. That's, that's why I do this work. It's not, you know, it, it's just for that one person. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that story about, you know, the people who pick up the sand dollars on the beach um, being here in San Diego, you know, it's very coastal. And so sometimes we see these, you know, this marine wildlife, you know, wash up ashore. And we have an opportunity to either take it with us or put it back into the ocean. And for me, I'm going to put it back, you know, because I might not change everybody or all of the wildlife that finds itself ashore, but I'll change just that one that one creature's life. And so that's, you know, if I sell 300 pieces and only one person understands something deeper, then I, I feel that I've accomplished something. 
No, I like that. It, it, it And very different, but it just reminds me of something that I shared earlier today where I shared a, a video of where I sacrificed a painting by by fire. And, and so some people's response is, well, what, you don't value your art? You know, you just set it on fire. And, and I, admittedly, I did an Instagram reel where I did a little bit of a parody joke about it. But uh, in all seriousness, it, it was a serious thing. And it was uh, the reason that I do it is because anything physical in this world is temporary. And it's a reminder of that temporary quality of these physical things and of the energy in the artwork. And so in sacrificing it and returning it to the earth, I'm able to collect the ashes and I collected those ashes and then I worked them into my paint and told the new story of a phoenix rising from the ashes. So whereas from the outside looking in from a glimpse, people would be like, oh, you know, you just don't respect your work, you know, like, but no, it, it was a part of the journey, a part of the experience and reminding myself that this is temporary and working it into a new story. And I feel like it adds to the beauty of that experience and, and that reminder and, and it, that deeper connection. And I think that's the one area where artists have this tremendous advantage. It's our ability to connect on a deeper level. And I think that that's the thing that the world really needs right now is deeper connection because the, the connections are so superficial these days. And uh, I feel like we've lost that, that realness, that connection to things because everything's just scroll, 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 you know, uh, bombarded with stimulation. And I'm guilty of it too. Like I, I, there's days that I'm just like, you know what? I wish I could just be rid of social media and just be in my, and, but again, going back to what you were saying earlier, you know, we have to be factual. We have to be objective about things and social media is a free way to market and promote the business. So it's very necessary for the business side of things. And for that reason, I can't relinquish it, but there's days I just want to disconnect and just connect with the earth and not worry about the outside noise and, and listen to the voice within, as opposed to the noise without. Um, all right. So there was, and we're getting farther along here. There's a couple of questions, right? The Shafan sent over that her, her group was curious about one question that grabbed my attention was getting picked on. So did, was it you personally getting picked on or was it something, was it someone, you know, or were you doing the picking on Siobhan? You, you seem like you're a real rile rouser kind of thing. Like I real knock people over. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually had uh, asked people on social media um, on various platforms if they had questions to submit them, uh, some of them were, I don't think, uh, appropriate for this conversation, but I did uh, select a few. And yes, once somebody actually asked, have I ever been bullied? Hmm. And um, I think that's that's a, a concept and, and an experience that is, you know, maybe not more or less common these days, but it's it's taken a new form because of technology. And so, uh, you know, bullies, people who have that, you know, instinct to uh, bully, you know, another individual can do it from across the world now. You know, yeah. before it was kind of restrictive to your physical vicinity, um, but now it's, it's a whole new level. And uh, for me, you know, it's interesting because I always see technology as a tool and how you use it as a reflection of who you are. Yeah. And 
one of my professors in my graduate program, uh, Dr. Pete Delisle, um, actually said something that I didn't understand when I was in the program, but I get it now. And it's that the bully mentality is actually the victim mentality. And the victim mentality is the bully mentality. And I didn't understand that, you know, because I was at the time so identified with that concept of one is opposed to the other. But what he had proposed was that when you perceive yourself as a victim, you are actually bullying yourself and only you have the power to decide as cliche as it sounds, whether or not that person's actions and words is going to affect you that deeply. Yeah. Only you have that control. Nobody else does. And now I understand. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. I would think almost on a different level too, right? I mean, isn't there an idea that um, people that molest or likely molested themselves, right? I guess if you get the same idea, right, that if you were picked on, right, or insecurities right there, you're a victim, right, that you're basically, you have those insecurities, so you're going to basically strike on someone else because it's easier for you to strike on them before they strike on you, right? So it's like the same kind of, like, mentality. That's where I went with it, but maybe, I don't know, with, it, with your professor's thing. Yeah. I think that, you know, we can't control the behaviors of other people outside yeah. of ourselves. We can't. Parents cannot control that as much as they want to with their children. Uh, we cannot control that with our partners as much as some people try. Um, it's something that is outside of our control. But what we can control is our reaction, our response to it. Um, and so we can either you know, blame that other person and say, well, you hurt me and that's why I'm in so much pain. Or we can hold that person accountable for their behavior and say, listen, what you did has nothing to do with me, but fortunately I've survived it. And so I think that's the difference of perceiving yourself as a victim versus a survivor um, when it comes to the specific uh, actions that you mentioned. Yeah, and I mean, pretty much anything that's said can be interpreted in such a way as to be offended. It really does come down to perception and interpretation. And a lot of times projecting our own uh, states. And there's times where, you know, I am more insecure about things or periods of difficulty that I have. And during those periods, I am more inclined to make rash, stupid decisions or false interpretations of the situation at hand as opposed to being completely objective. And I think that uh, what you mentioned was, uh, it rang true for me because I'm, I'm a big believer in that of, you know, People can say things and it's easy to be like, oh, you know, it's not my fault. You know, so-and-so did this, so-and-so said that, and they shouldn't have said that. But you know what? I can't, people are going to say things. People are going to do things. People are going to do bad things. But am I going to let that stop me? That's up to me and me alone. And I mean, you know, it, life can be very challenging these days. I think, uh, you know, with all the stimulation, everything going on and this artist life isn't always easy. You know, it, it would be very easy. A lot of days as an artist, and I'm sure as a realtor too, you know, business is slow or things aren't going great to, you know, kind of get down on yourself, but we, we have to kind of learn to, to pick ourselves up. But I, I think that there is also beauty in the struggle. And so a big part of my journey as an artist has just been acknowledging the struggle and showing the totality of the journey and not these false projections of like, Oh, you know, it's always easy. Cause 
it's not always easy. There's, there's a lot of struggles on this journey, but it is a beautiful journey. And I think that the struggles make it all the more rewarding. And so uh, Vinny, as you were saying earlier, you know, like, you know, a backup plan or whatnot, but like, no, I, I choose to, to go all in and, and to take the difficult road because I believe that in taking the challenging road, it will lead me to a more beautiful destination. What is it? What's the saying, right? Work uh, smarter, not harder. It doesn't always yeah. have to be too challenging, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to make it challenging for the sake of being challenging. But uh, I think a lot of times just we, we look for the easy road. And, and I think that the easy road doesn't lead to the good things in life. And uh, one of the other things that I said when I was talking to the kids last week was if you're always hearing yes, you're probably not challenging yourself enough. Your dreams should be so large that there are obstacles. And if there are no obstacles in front of you and you're achieving everything, you, you may not be dreaming big enough. You know, I, I, I was, who, man, who was it? Was it Joe Rogan or like that? Parent, which, which podcast I listened to, but they were talking about how um, one of the Gracies, I think the, the original Gracies, the dad or something like that, after any time his, his son lost or his kids lost, he would buy them a toy. Only when they lost, right? Because they would kick themselves so hard when they lost, basically. So they would try for harder things. And they wouldn't get anything, I guess, for when they won because the, just the winning was enough for them. I was like, how's oh, an interesting way of, of doing it right there? Give them a, the present or give them the gift because they're trying for something something bigger, right? It's kind of interesting. I'm just so glad that I'm not a parent. You know, Not knocking on anybody that chooses to be, but I'm just so glad that I don't have to worry about any of those things. I just have to worry about my own nonsense. But well, it's a lot. I've been a lot of choices. I don't have any kids, but that's, it seems like yeah, everything you do is going to be a, a choice and it's going to shape them a little bit. I know Shafan was talking about you, can, you, you can't control what they say, but gosh, Dan, you're going to try. As soon as they cuss at you, you're going to try to control them from not cussing at you again. Yeah, so, huh? Yeah, that's a yeah. And that's like, amazing that, you know, uh, we can witness, you know, parents, you know, finding themselves within their own children, too, right? It's like, you know, you like you said, Vinny, you can't control them, but you can influence them. And, you know, and I think that's the difference between, like, um, you know, the way that that my grandparents raised me. So I was raised by my grandparents and mostly um, for many, many different reasons. But, um, you know, basically they, they really didn't believe in, in controlling, um, more influencing, educating. Um, and this is, you know, something that is very traditional for native communities in that, you know, we, we listen. When elders speak, you listen so that you can learn, you know, and be influenced that way, you know, and that's why it's so important for, for children's to have that opportunity to connect, um, you know, with their families and with their communities is because they are influenced. This they aren't controlled. Of, this <laughs> is off of a tangent, but it's just really curious. Were you spanked as a child and your culture is okay to get spanked? You know, um, that's a great question. There was, um, 
I didn't expect to share this with you guys, um, but one of the reasons why um, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents was because there was a lot of physical abuse. Um, oh, wow. And so, and that's, you know, unfortunately, it's something that isn't uncommon for Native people, for Indigenous people. And it took me a really long time to understand it right? Because as a child, psychologically, I'm not even developed to process this cognitively. So how can I rationalize the emotional experience, the spiritual experience of being, um, you know, in that type of environment? And really, when I got older, um, I learned that my grandparents were in a boarding school, um, they spent time in Oklahoma um, before moving to Texas and then eventually uh, Arizona and then California. But the boarding schools subjected children to excruciating acts of violence, um, resulting in mortality even. Damn. And so that type of pain and experience and influence, right, is carried into the adulthood of the individual that experienced it. And, you know, back in the early, you know, 1920s, you know, that was something that like my great grandparents and my grandparents, they couldn't, they didn't have the resources or the means to process it. You know, things were hard enough for native communities, you know, tack on the great depression and everything else is like, you know, they never were given the resources to process it. And so they passed that down to their children and their children passed it on to theirs. So I think that's what psychologists are calling now intergenerational trauma. Well, in the Samoan culture, I mean, at least the Samoans, I, I went to college with a lot of Samoans and it seemed like every single one of them had conversations about abuse. Right. And, and I don't know, maybe it's just the way, I mean, how I kind of, took it in. And I, I, I have no things to back it up. So people are going to go, Oh, bullshit. There's like that on me. But like, I, it seemed like it was like the idea to almost make them stronger. I, that's how I was kind of like to make the kids stronger by beating them, which is a horrible way of doing it. Um, and from what I understand, like in the, the native community, I always thought it was like more so like, because isn't like alcohol prevalent. Alcohol. Isn't that what they say? Like in the news, the alcohol is prevalent in like the community. Well, I could say that about, primarily well, Caucasian society I as well. I think that addiction stems from uh, a lack of connection mm. to yourself. And speaking from experience in this capacity as well, when you make the commitment to recover or start that road to recovery from your addiction, you're committing to appreciating your life, valuing your life. And so you need to then establish who you are so that it can be valued. And that's really, you know, uh, you know, my journey in a nutshell as an artist, because art allows me to understand myself deeper um, it allows me to communicate that not just with the audience that perceives my work, but with myself 
in the process and deeply understanding yourself and also where you come from too. You know, it's why my culture means so much to me. My people mean so much to me. My family is so means so much to me, even though, you know, I've just shared, you know, all of these things that are intertwined in their experience. They are inherently valuable still because I am who I am because of them. And, and for me, it's, you know, about appreciating that. And in order to appreciate something, I always say you have to understand it. And there are different thresholds into which people can understand things. And so I like to challenge individuals and myself, how deeply can you understand something? Um, because that is going to put you on the path to deeply appreciating it. And so I think what you're seeing with addiction epidemic, not just in the native communities. I live in downtown San Diego. I can walk out my front door and there is a plethora of addicts and yes. they range from different socioeconomic demographics. They come from different state lines, probably some of them even from different countries. But my theory in my own experience with addiction is that it is because they haven't been given the resources or been able to utilize the resources to appreciate themselves. And so you can take that information and then apply it to, you know, why is there so much addiction in indigenous and native communities? Because they can't appreciate themselves? Is that what you're getting at? I think I think that you know you, you I think that there's systems in place to where native communities are consistently disempowered. Yeah, and, I mean you know, your identity yeah it makes it hard to to find yourself when you're constantly having things taken away from you including your culture. Yes. Well, no, uh, okay. This is okay. my ignorant question. Are you going to ask? Go for Michael. Well, uh, so there were two more things I wanted to ask. So let me just say the two things I want to ask you about. And then, Vinny, we can go to yours if you want to go to yours first. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to make sure that we talk about uh, the Native arts community and also um, not just historically, but contemporary art, because I know a couple uh, Native artists. And, and it seems like there's some stuff kind of blossoming in San Diego. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I also wanted to talk a little bit about Sparks Gallery, who's going to be our next guest, but somewhere that you show and I show. So um, Vinny, we can go to whatever you wanted, but those were just the two things that I wanted to hit before we do take off. No, no, it was, it, I, I was going to go off on a whole, a whole another, another tangent asking the the why question. And uh, that might have took us a little bit farther down the road. So no, let's go off your, let's go off your questions. No, we can go a little like, so why, what though? We can go a little further down the rabbit hole. <laughs> no, because, because you say the community, the community, right? The culture is getting, getting lost. Right. So I understand the, the land aspect of it, but I mean, how is the, the, the culture, culture getting lost? Is it strictly the, the land aspect that you're talking about earlier or are the other things that, that you believe that's happening? Well, when you look at the history of this country, it's the United States was founded on 
removing culture from the original people. And so systematically- Yeah, I, I, well, that's back then, but I'm talking about now. So you're saying because- Now uh, we're still living through that. We are still living okay. through that. Um, you know, our, our, our languages are endangered, you know? Thank goodness that there are now initiatives that are, you know, becoming resources for different, you know, tribal communities and native communities to have language restored. But, you know, the boarding schools were institutions created to remove people from their community, from their culture, which was a, an intrinsic system that allowed the individuals to be empowered, you know, and, and so, so you well, know, something. I, I, I understand you're talking about the past and what happened in the past and right. Like the, uh, the Jewish community would probably be pissed off of, and they're probably how many were killed off. Right. Like there's a Chinese, like, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff in the past. Right. And we can't, of course there's some stuff right there, but today it's more about basically kind of bringing the culture, bringing the art that you're putting out there and hopefully by more artists that can remember that culture that was back then coming out, hopefully it will kind of bring, I guess, worth to the individuals that you're kind of talking about in essence, right? I think that's, I think, and I think that's a common misunderstanding that our society has today um, is that this is something that is happening in the past. As I mentioned before, uh, the Apache Nation, the San Carlos Apache tribe is still fighting for land that is protected under a treaty to mm. protect it. Their land, so their sovereign land is still being threatened by an Australian mining company for copper. And this is a sacred ceremonial site. Mm. This is a site for that is important for all Apache tribes, not just the San Carlos Apache, but it plays significance in all the Apache people. It's where our ancestors are buried. It is where, uh, you know, young women uh, come of age. That ceremony holds very, very, very important sacred, you know, ness in, in our community. And this is something that is still happening today. You know, the DAPL pipeline, Standing Rock, you know, uh, other tribes, even, you know, I have a really close community as well in the, in the Diné, the Navajo Nation, and in Shiprock, you know, there was an oil spill in September. You didn't hear about that in the news, or it was in November, excuse me. So it was just a few months ago. It, it totally ruined uh, grazing pasture land for farmers, local farmers, you know, and, and, and these are things that are happening now. It's not something of the past. And this is something that, that, you know, people need to be aware of. Like, this, is, this isn't a thing of the past. We are still healing from that trauma that our grandparents faced, that our great-grandparents faced. Some, some people, you know, are, are dealing with that, you know, and, and, and some can't deal with it, right? And so then we see addiction, you know, because it's so painful, you know, and, and that, yeah, this is not a thing of the past. That's something that I, I feel is important to uh, communicate. 
is that it's, it's taking place now. And these injustices, and are these things that you are trying to give a voice to through your art or that you, do you see other uh, contemporary native artists using the artistic platform to try to, because the government, I'm just going to say is, is shameful. Um, but there are certain cultures where there are at least the illusions of trying to make things right or, or to give time and attention to, but I, I, historically speaking, I, I don't really see much effort at all from the government to do much for the native community. And I think that, you know, if, if my art can be used as a way to bring an awareness to cultural issues, then I'll absolutely explore that. Um, I kind of have been with some mini collections that I've been putting out. Um, but I think, yeah, um, I do know artists um, who are historians who convey traditional ceremonies and prayers and, and ways of life through art for preservation purposes. And I think that for me, that is something that I am, I'm interested in, in incorporating more of in my composition. So would it be like a, would it, would the art be more about telling the story or would there be like a monetary aspect that would go to a nonprofit to help that community? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great question, you know, and that's, that's beautiful that you brought up the idea of, you know, nonprofit work. Um, I'm currently affiliated with uh, several nonprofit organizations that I do keynote speaking and activism for. Um, and I do donate a lot of my proceeds of my wildlife portrait for conservation efforts. And so my cultural pieces, if they can play a role in educational settings, in historical preservation settings, I'm absolutely for that. And, and that's actually something that I'm planning to do with a mini series that I'm getting ready to release. Um, they're going to be listed with a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to preserving indigenous wisdom and traditional wisdom. And so what I've done was taken an aspect of my culture that is core to the identity of the Apache people and have conveyed it in a way after careful consideration and consulting with elders. Um, and hopefully it's well received um, because I'll be the first female artist to ever depict these images. Um, so it's, it's exciting. Can you give the name of the nonprofit so people can look it up if they want to donate or that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. Um, so Anawa is an organization. Um, they can be found at anawa.co. Um, they hold annual gatherings and they also host um, online speaking events and platforms. Um, you can find some of my uh, work with them on their website. Um, and another nonprofit that I do work for is the Flint Hills Wisdom Keepers. And their website is uh, Flint, fhwisdomkeepers.org. And they're a nonprofit uh, organization based out of uh, Kansas and the Midwest. And so they are also dedicated to 
um, preserving uh, indigenous wisdom and cultural sovereignty for the original people of this land. Um, uh, thank you so much uh, for being a platform, Michael. Do we? Do we? I know you, you had the two questions. Did we answer your questions? So we did the one, uh, but then uh, we also wanted to because Vinny, we were going to try to do something new for the show now. So we wanted to talk a little bit about our guest for next week, yes. which is going to be Sparks Gallery. Sony Sparks is going to come on. Now, Sparks Gallery is a gallery that I work with, but it is also a gallery that Chiffon works with. So you have some work up there right now on exhibit? Um, it's not part of their ongoing exhibit. Um, I think that they have uh, different sections of their beautifully large gallery here yeah, in the gas upstairs. lamp in and they feature uh local artists local emerging artists like myself and so yes i currently have two pieces on display um they're original ink illustrations um one of them is of the american buffalo um so it's a portrait of the uh the american bison and then the second is of a painted uh, horse um, and so both of those are very culturally significant for me and um, they're available uh, at Sparks Gallery. And your work is absolutely beautiful. You and I have worked at a couple galleries together. And so uh, I, I think your journey through the emerging uh, is going very well, very quickly, because I, I would definitely uh, personally describe you as an artist that is further along. So it's funny how perception is because from... The outside, I, I see you doing a lot of big things, and uh, I'm excited to see what's to come from you. Um, so stop by Sparks Gallery. We would love for you to all go check out Sparks Gallery. Vinny's, go ahead, Vinny. Okay. <laughs> this is what we're going to throw. We, so we have some we have some <laughs> gift cards that are burning uh, Michael Carini's pocket right here. Okay, They Vinny. are. I need to get rid of them. We, we've got some gift cards for Blick Art Supplies. Okay. So they're burning it. So we're trying to find ways to give them to you. Now, of course, we could just give them to you. There has to be some kind of like, kind of give I mean, back and forth of it. So comment, reach out on these. If you have an idea of some way that we can we can do that. I mean, we, were, we kind of played around going back and forth. I had an idea, Michael had an idea. Siobhan said that our ideas were not that smart. It was kind of hurtful, but... <laughs> You know what? She, so she had an idea, and then we were like, "That is a great idea," and it was a back and forth. And anywho, uh, yeah. So no, we, we want to get your feedback of, of what you guys think we should do, because uh, we want to get a little more interactive. We want to have more fun with you. We want to kind of increase the dialogue because our whole show, you know, it's not a typical interview show. It's a back and forth. We just want to talk about art. We want to welcome people to the conversation. We want everybody to feel included. So, regardless of your age. Uh, race, culture, you know, whatever, uh, your experience with art, we want art to be something that you can bring into your life. Maybe art isn't something that you've done before, but maybe, you know, you see something that you like, or you come across one of our guests and they kind of open up your eyes to art. Maybe you want to do a little exploring and, you know, there's no right or wrong way to be an artist and there's no right or wrong way to appreciate art. But I love that our podcast has been able to bring on uh, an array of guests, a, a broad range, and we can talk about important stuff, fun stuff, and kind of get down to the core of things, the things that other people won't talk about. And so uh, I love and appreciate that you were able to come on, Chiffon, and I would love for everybody to go check out your work. 
So you go to sparksgallery.com and you can look at my work, her work, and the gallery's work, see some of the other artists for next week. But where can people go find you and your work for your website and your social, Stefan? Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, so my website is chiffonlark.com. Um, I'm currently in the process of rebranding my site, um, but all of my current work is available um, for viewing and purchases on that uh, URL. And my username on pretty much all social media handles is chiffonlark. <laughs> And Shafan, uh, you came on with such an important message today. I want to leave you with uh, the opportunity for the final words. Any last thing that you want to say, let people know about before we take off? I just want to thank you both. Thank you both for having me here, for having this conversation with me. Um, it's been very meaningful and um, very, very happy to see you both using your platforms to build community and to connect people because those values are very important to me. So thank you. Well, I burn a lot of bridges, so I figure I got to build at least one here and there. <laughs> so. On that note, guys, please subscribe to the Art for Everyone podcast. We do it live. We usually do it on Thursdays at three o'clock. It does change sparks next week. Is going to be Wednesday at noon. And then we do have a double feature next week. We've got Jared uh, Thursday Jared at yep. three, 3 o'clock. So we usually go live uh, once a week or once every other week. And then the, the podcast gets usually released on Monday. But hey, you know what? Everything's changed. So subscribe, share, and go tell your friends. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Art for Everyone podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with your hosts, check them out on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.